is the only bank devoted exclusively to entrepreneurs, and we're committed to the success of women entrepreneurs and majority women-owned companies across Canada. As a proud partner of the Thrive Podcast, we're here to help you start, grow, or scale your business. Find out more at bdc.ca forward slash women today. Scotiabank is proud to co-present the Thrive Podcast for Women Entrepreneurs. Through the Scotiabank Women Initiative, Scotiabank aims to help advance women-led businesses with access to capital, education, and mentorship. To learn more, visit scotiabankwomeninitiative.com. listening to the Thrive Podcast on the Startup Canada Podcast Network, where we help women entrepreneurs to start and build thriving businesses. On the Thrive Podcast, we connect you with leading experts, entrepreneurs, and organizations that provide capital, mentorship, training, tools, and other support to help you make your vision a reality faster. This podcast is a production of Startup Canada, Canada's entrepreneurship organization, and is presented in partnership with the Business Development Bank of Canada and Scotiabank. I'm your host, Kayla Isabel, Executive Director at Startup Canada. Welcome to the show. So we are thrilled to have Fiona Gilligan on our show today. Fiona is a trauma specialist, author, and female founder. She's the former founder CEO of the Trauma Management Group, TMG, the industry-leading company in Canada which dealt with the aftermath of the World Trade Center attacks, the Dawson College shootings, and the SARS breakout. In 2002, she authored one of Canada's first critical incident group crisis training programs called the Critical Incident Stress Management, From Theory to Practice, that is still widely used for training purposes. Her career started over 20 years ago with a BA in psychology and a master's of social work. Since the sale of the trauma management group in 2007, she has continued to specialize in clinical intervention, training, and organizational development with military, veterans, and emergency medical services to effectively respond to mental health issues within the workplace. She is also a social entrepreneur and female founder who actively gives her time to various ecosystems to encourage entry and growth. Welcome to the show, Fiona. Thank you for having me. That was a lovely introduction. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a pretty incredible history that you've got there. So I'm really excited to dive into today's conversation. Well, thank you for having me. Okay. So as before we dive in, what's one thing that you'd like uh, women entrepreneurs to take away from our conversation today? Okay. Well, I think it's going to be hard for me to keep it at one thing, but I'll, I'll tell you sort of what comes to mind initially would be a lot of the young gals and, you know, women that approach me about, you know, how do you become so successful and, you know, what did you do? And I always say, you know what, I followed my gut. Mm. I really believe in the power of the intuitive voice. And for a lot of women, they sort of get talked out of that because people say, oh, it's so risky or, you know, you don't have skills in that area or whatever. And women can very quickly push away from their intuitive voice and mm -hmm. say, well, you know, maybe these other people are right. Maybe I shouldn't build a trauma company. I have no business background or maybe I shouldn't invest because I'm not an investor. I don't have an MBA or what have you. And one of the things I say to women is, you know what? Trust that voice. So if that voice is saying to you, you know, yeah, I'm an engineer and I really want to go and build my own engineer practice or business, trust that voice and know that that voice is there to help you navigate risk and to help you pivot and to help you learn and grow and be super resilient. What I find really discouraging is I meet, you know, 
people from all backgrounds when I'm out and about doing talks. And so many of them have amazing ideas, but they don't seem to have that inner confidence or mm. sense of trust that they can actually build out that idea into something really sustainable, sizable, and successful. Mm-hmm. So let's start at the beginning. So when did your intuition um, lead you into psychology, social work, uh, and sort of the world of trauma management? So from the time I was probably a mid-teen, I knew that I wanted to be in mental health as a career. I was really fortunate. I knew at a very young age that I wanted to be, you know, a clinical psychologist. So I wanted to work in mental health. And then I went to university and I started down that that road. Mm -hmm. And I ended up working as part of a trauma team for three years when I found myself unemployed. And it was through sheer, you know, survival and needing to work and, you know, really wanting to stay true to what my heart was wanting, which was to work with people and organizations affected by trauma. That was my calling. That's really what I wanted to do. Mm. So I started to build a practice that became, you know, extremely successful within the first year. And then I thought, well, if I was to replicate myself, there's got to be other people like me out here that really believe in helping families and organizations affected by trauma. If I was to replicate myself and build a company, I could help thousands and thousands of people while also becoming very successful myself. Mm. And that was how the bridge happened. So when I'm working with entrepreneurs, well, I actually don't work with them. I I just do, you know, pro bono work and, and I invest is I say to them is, you want to do something, you want to build out something that you know you're going to want to get up and do every morning. Mm. And to to think, well, I want to be rich and successful and then build a business around it doesn't usually work. So find out what you love to do, what makes you feel meaning in this world and purpose, and then figure out how to monetize it. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So with uh, the trauma management group, with TMG, um, I imagine that that intrinsic motivation and feeling like you're, you're really making a difference, that would be, um, you know, you'd be experiencing that on a daily basis with that group. How did you temper that uh, with obviously some pretty traumatic subject matter and through the conversations that you were having after the aftermath of the World Trade Center attacks um, with the shootings that you were engaging with uh, and the SARS outbreak? How did you temper, um, you know, your your wanting to help, uh, but also with the really challenging day-to-day responsibilities of navigating those conversations? You know, that's an excellent question. So thank you for bringing that up because one of the hazards of our trade is actually what we call vicarious traumatization. Mm. So we get traumatized at a secondary level because of our exposure to firsthand trauma. I think because I was so committed to building the company, that my default was to go into my business head. So when I was doing the the work clinically and supporting our team, I really, you know, when I would sort of feel it affecting me, I would kind of go into my business head. Hmm. And that really helped me. So I'd be like, okay, we have to deploy, you know, 30 members of our team to this large scale trauma or 50 members and they're hurting. I'm hurting. It's really awful because you can never take the humanity. You can never take the humanity out of this type of business, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then what I would do is I would work with the organizations, or I'd work at a business level and figure out, well, how can we do? How can we be the best that we're going to be in this? So I sort of step away from the frontline emotional component, and I get more into sort of the the cognitive processing of okay. If this contract is a million dollars, we need to make a 30% profit margin. How can we invest that to be sure that we're the best in the business, that every family is getting served, um, and that we come out of this, obviously, you know, feeling that we've done a really, really good job. So I, I focus at that level. 
Incredible. So you sold the trauma management group in 2007. What led to that decision? Um, and why did you decide to pivot uh, with female founders? So in 2007, I had been running the company at this point for just shy of 15 years. Wow. And I'd been, in the, I'd been in the industry for about 20 years. And I had two really, really small little children. And this is where it gets really tricky because you know, as a feminist and as a female founder, the bottom line is I'm still a woman and I'm a, you know, a mother, a daughter, a sister, a friend. And I found myself, uh, unfortunately, as a single parent, full time of two little babies, a two and a three year old. And I had to make a choice at that point. Do I continue to build? Because the, the company at that point was ready to go to the next level. Like we were just ready to scale up to the next level. But I had these two amazing, you know, beautiful little girls. Mm. And I, and that's where I, and I, I wrote a book a number of years later, Confessions of a Girlpreneur, sharing my story is I was, I was faced with a really huge existential question. Do I continue to be an entrepreneur and a CEO first? Or do I take some time off and I raise my, my babies, my girls? Mm. And I made a decision to step out and sell the company and focus on my girl because I knew I could always build more companies I could always invest more but I could never get their time back mm. so I it took me a year sold the position of the company sold the company and then I became a full-time mom for a number of years but I was always in business so even though I was home with them I was building Aaron Moore Holdings, which is an investment mm -hmm. portfolio company. And then, you know, I bought into another company. And so, but I was able to do that while I was at the park, mm. <laughs> you know, on the phone. My kids yeah. were on the play store. I was like, oh, hi, honey. Yeah, I saw you. You know, come down the slide. It was beautiful. <laughs> and I'd be text, 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 <laughs> you know. Uh -huh. So, so I was able to, I was able to bring my kids into business and my business into kids by selling the infrastructure of my main company. Hmm. Um, and it was a really tough decision, but hmm. I have no regrets. I mean, my kids now are 16 and 18. They're thriving. Um, and I didn't miss anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that, that intuition that you needed to follow your gut in that moment, and that definitely paid off. It uh, did. It did. But it's a hard decision, though, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, as women, we're breeders, and we're also breadwinners. Mm -hmm. And so when I'm doing a lot of my talks, I'll say to girls and women, like, you can have it all, but you may not be able to have it all at the same time. Mm. And that's why I felt really compelled to write my book, because I wanted, you know, young women to know who you pick as your marital partner or your, your the, the partner of your children is hugely important mm -hmm. because that person has to be comfortable being in a secondary role. Because you've got your babies in your business and they may have to, they may be kind of knocked down a little bit on that pole for a bit. They've got to be really comfortable with you being the driver and the breadwinner. And you've got to really be comfortable being the breeder, but also a CEO of a company. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really complex, but it's totally, you're, it's totally um, possible if you've got the right support around you. Mm -hmm. So outside of finding the right support person and following your intuition, what other practical tips do you have for women who are looking to navigate um, that balance between putting their, their entrepreneurial journey first or their business first and, you know, potentially their babies? What, what uh, tips can you provide to our audience who's struggling with that? So being an entrepreneur is not a race. Being an entrepreneur is a journey. So a lot of, a lot of the people that I, you know, come in contact with, they're like, okay, you know, I'm building my company with a five-year exit. And I'm like, well, what, why are you so tied up on exit? Like, mm. the exit thing is really sexy right now because entrepreneurs seem to think, well, if somebody else values my company, that means my company has value. And mm. I'll say to them, 
do you value your company? Yeah, I love my company. Okay, well then, okay, so you exit in five years, then what are you going to do with your life? Like you're 40 years old, you're going to go golf for the rest of your life? Like what are you going to (laughs) do? So like everybody is different. Some people become serial entrepreneurs. Some people become like, I'm a serial entrepreneur and I'm an investor. So I've kind of navigated different spaces. But the thing is, is that what I always say to them is think really clearly about this. You are in one of the, the, the most intense phases of your life. You're, you're, you know, you're 20, 30, 40s. You're doing, you're building your business. You're building a family. You're building your net worth. What is the rush? Like mm. slow down. Take that exit from five years, stretch it into 10 years, touch it into 15 years, slow things down, enjoy the ride. Mm. And I was so busy building, 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 building that I never really took a chance to sit back and go, wow, like, look at what we're doing. Look at like, look at the amazing impact we're having. Mm-hmm. And I, I try to teach that to other people is that entrepreneurship is a journey. It's not a destination. Mm-hmm. And it took me after the sale of my first company to realize that. Hmm. That's so interesting because how people quantify success during that entrepreneurial journey is so different that, uh, you know, for somebody it might be that shorter time period, but um, that, that exercise in identifying what you want to do um, and how you know that you're going to be successful being really important conversation and honest conversation that especially women entrepreneurs have to have during that that uh, entrepreneurial journey. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. let's talk a little bit about female founders. Can you give us a, a, a bit of a description um, around the organization um, and how it's supporting women entrepreneurs? Okay, so it's not, it's, it's, it's more of an informal network. It's not really an organization. I, and I've decided to keep it like that. So in 2000, so 2000, and I think it was uh, seven or eight, I sold the company. 2009, the kids and I moved up to Laurentians for three years. I wanted to be a ski bum. I wanted to just go somewhere where I was anonymous. Nice. Nobody knew me. Um, you know, we learned French. It was a, an amazing three years. And then wow. I came back to Ottawa and I realized, because I was involved in the Montreal startup system and I, and there was so much diversity and so many women and it was amazing. And then I came back to Ottawa and I couldn't find my groove. So I thought, well, I'm going to do a call out to female founders in Ottawa. There's got to be lots of them and say, Hey, let's create a hub for, you know, supporting each other and networking and, and, you know, doing deals and, and everything. So I did a call out and I had, you know, within a month I organized, you know, dinner, whatever at my place. I think there's about 15 of us showed up mm-hmm. and it was amazing. Like some of Ottawa's top female founders were in my living room and we were chatting and just saying, you know, what do we want to do? So we decided to create more of sort of a, uh, an informal network. Like there's no fees, there's nothing in it. Nobody gets paid. It's just where we come together. And that network, that network has kept going to this day. And we get together probably, you know, three, four times a year. Hmm. And it's, you know, the network itself is, it has some of Ottawa's top female founders in it and investors. And we have an amazing time. We talk business, we talk deals, we talk the future of innovation. We're from different sectors. Some are fintech, some are IT, some are service, um, and different types of entrepreneurs as well. And and it's really nourishing for us because as women, you know, we build businesses differently than our guy colleagues. Mm-hmm. And um, and we just needed something that was for us. Mm. So when you look back on all the different conversations that you've had with your fellow female founders, are there any pieces of advice that you received throughout those conversations that really resonated and stuck with you? Oh, I would say really, you know, as women is, you know, what's really, really stuck with me is maybe not a specific conversation, but more of a feeling. And that is that 
women are amazing in terms of, you know, I think we've all often been misunderstood in terms of our businesses and why we build and how we build and timeframes. But what I really took away, have taken away consistently over the last decade from the Female Founder Network is that these women are incredible. Like they're, they're amazing at balancing, you know, business and babies and <laughs> building their net worth and philanthropy. And they're just like powerhouses. They do it all. Mm. Um, and that I think is, is what I, has really shored me up over the years as a single parent, you know, building companies, investing two kids on my own, you know, trying to look after myself is that, you know, I've got so many amazing women, role models in this network. And I think I'm a role model for them as well, is that we pull off a lot in a 24 hour time mm -hmm. span. And yet, you know, we still have a great sense of humor. We still go to the spa, we still get our runs in, but we don't do idle well. And, you know, for most of my life, you know, people have said to me, you know, why can't you just relax? Mm -hmm. And, you know, why can't, and I'm, I've never been that type of person. I relax by doing things. Like mm -hmm. I relax by heli hiking a mountain, by going for a run, by working out with my trainer, by being involved in a philanthropic cause, you know, mm -hmm. we're different than other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you recharge in different ways. Um, so many people that we have on the podcast say, say the exact same thing that, you know, uh, taking a, a self-care day as an entrepreneur can look very different than in a different context. Uh, so I think it's being honest with yourself about what uh, nourishes you and what does make you feel recharged and purposeful, um, you know, and, and, and acting on that. Yeah. So for example, in 2019, Support Our Troops um, invited me to be one of their ambassadors. Mm. And I'm a huge supporter of this organization because it's amazing. It does so much good for our military families and veterans. And I had friends say to me like, where are you going to find the time? Like, You have no time left. And I said, you know what, I'm going to make the time because this is actually going to be good for them. But it's also going to be great for me. It's going to help me recharge my battery, mm. you know, being at their events, you know, helping to advance their brand in my own little way, um, you know, being a part of their network. So as entrepreneurs, we do recharge in different ways, but people that aren't entrepreneurs don't get it. Hmm. They think, well, we should do less to recharge, but sometimes as entrepreneurs, we actually do more, but we do a different type of more. Hmm. And, and sort of looking at the mental health conversation, and obviously that's at the, at the forefront of a lot of things that we're doing at Startup Canada, and, and in the especially with women entrepreneurs right now, um, having a conversation around prioritizing mental health. So do you think that your background, focusing in psychology and, and with your social work background, that you are uniquely equipped to um, provide advice, and, and in those founders, um, conversations are you able to offer that advice to your to your fellow female founders and and they can sort of lean on you in that way or do you sort of keep it a little bit separate uh, I try to keep it separate for mm. sure because mm. I mean you know it's not really um, appropriate or professional in that context to be giving that level of advice but mm -hmm. I will say though that um, there's a lot of attention being drawn now to entrepreneurship and mental health. And I think it's really, really important. I don't know what the stats are for mental illness or mental challenges within the entrepreneur community, but I can tell you firsthand myself, having done it, my first company, I was, you know, I was functioning on cortisol for 15 years. I was functioning in an extreme stress, high stress environment. I was completely bootstrapped. My company was, you know, extremely successful, huge overheads, well over six digits, completely self-financed, complete mm -hmm. cash flow financing. So the level of stress is huge. And we have to learn how to manage that stress 
and decompress from that stress extremely rapidly Mm -hmm. because we have to, we're always in that zone. So, you know, I was on a panel recently and people were talking about, you know, the importance of balance and entrepreneurship. And I just said, you can't have balance when you're an entrepreneur. Like if you want to be successful, your business is your number one driver. Like you can't, you're not going to be, you're not going to become a multimillionaire, industry leading entrepreneur on a six or seven hour day. You might Mm -hmm. do that on your fifth or sixth or seventh company, (laughs) but you're not Mm going to do that on your first or your second one. So if, if you if you're not up for working crazy intense hours and being super driven, it's going to be really tricky to build the company that you want to scale for an exit. Mm. You can certainly be a lifestyle entrepreneur, which is which is great. A lifestyle entrepreneur is someone who doesn't have overhead, just themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, consultants and stuff. That's different. But if you want to be an entrepreneur that has scale and exit potential then you're you're not going to have balance what you have to do is you have to learn how to manage and survive and thrive within the craziness mm. so think about chaos and then think you're you're stuck in that how do you manage the chaos mm-hmm. is what makes the entrepreneur survive and thrive mm-hmm. and so and, it's a very yeah. very different way of looking at it Mm-hmm. And with your transition uh, after the sale of your company and making that intentional decision uh, to take time off, how was that experience? I imagine there must have been a little bit of whiplash of, okay, you were going at such a, a, a lightning speed with the organization and then to be able to pause for a moment and switch gears and focus on your family. Um, how was that transition? How did you navigate that different um, sort of day-to-day uh, energy cycle? Um, well, I had two little kids, <laughs> so, so still alone, very busy, but a very different very, type of busy. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very busy, much more physically busy than mm. cognitively busy. Mm-hmm. Um, cause they were only three and four, they're only a year, about a year and a half apart, but I started buying stuff. So I started, I started buying stuff. Interesting. So I, I basically, I took about six months off and I did nothing except, you know, work out and, you know, look after my kids, mm-hmm. my home. And then I was like, oh, my God, I'm so I, I need more than this. I absolutely need more than this. And I didn't want to do another build. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been headhunted and, and invited into you know some pretty amazing positions. Then I thought, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm going to build out Aaron more. I'm going to start buying stuff. I'm going to start investing. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've been doing. And, uh, you know, from buying into business to investing. And I've been doing that since 2000 and whenever I sold the company, the trauma company. Mm-hmm. And I've loved it. Mm. And uh, so I kind of threw my energy into invest in investing. Mm. And what would you yeah. say for women who are potentially interested in going down that path and going down the investment um, sort of space? What would be advice to, to begin in there? Uh, number one advice is only invest money that you can afford to lose. Mm. So uh, because angel investing is very, very high risk mm-hmm. and you will lose money. It's not an if, but you will lose money. So you have to be sure that if you're investing, whatever, it could be 10000 it could be a million, you're literally taking it and you're burning it. So mm. don't invest money that you cannot afford to lose. So I always say to entrepreneurs, why are you even thinking about being an investor? Like you can't afford, you can't afford to lose 25000 or 50000 or whatever it is. Mm. Um, so that's one thing. And again, a lot of people are kind of want to get into investing because they think it's an opportunity to make a lot of money or they, it's an mm. ego thing. It sounds really cool to say, Hey, I'm an investor. Well, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. like it's like, honestly, I, 
I hang out with angel investors and most of us are just like pulling our hair out going, okay, how much money did you lose last month? <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of but risk associated. There, there's mm. a lot of risk associated with it. And so that's the number one thing is don't invest money because the minute you write that check, consider it gone. If it comes mm. back and you make some, amazing. But angel investing is really about helping out the entrepreneur and hoping that maybe you'll get your money back with a little bit extra. But really, it's about investing in that next generation and really believing in the idea and the an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I say about investing is when you do it, just be sure that you invest in things that you understand. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you may think it's really sexy and cool to invest in fintech. But if you don't know fintech, why are you investing in that space? Mm-hmm. Right. So but if you're really into like a part of retail or you're really interested in a part of IT IT, like climate change, then throw your money into that angle Mm -hmm. where you can understand it. And you can also become a strategic advisor as well, right? Because Mm -hmm. strategic advisors are, and and women, we really need women in strategic advising roles because so many times we have women that don't even make it to the investment table and and even fewer of them make it into the advisory level. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And so what is on, on deck for 2020 for you? It sounds like you've got a lot on your plate already. What are you looking to focus on in 2020? Um, I think 2020, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm trying to, you know, without getting too personal, I'm focusing more on my personal life, getting out dating and woo-hoo. my kids. <laughs> woohoo! I know. Um, and, um, and I'm just, you know, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing because I really, you know, life is life is good so far. Mm-hmm. And I'm really very passionate about the work that I do in the field of trauma. I'm back now three days a week. I'm very passionate about it. I feel it's really important work. I'm also, I'm really enjoying the different investments that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm enjoying seeing my kids get to the next level. And also the book that I wrote, Confessions of a Girlpreneur, uh, it's on Amazon, by the way, if anybody wants to pick up a copy or, uh, or on Kindle. I also do a number of talks every year um, from that book, and I really enjoy doing that. So I'm looking at maybe doing a few more talks. Great. And, uh, yeah, more heli hiking. That's my happy place. Drop me in a mountain somewhere with some good friends. Oh, my and goodness. Heli hiking. That's a new yeah. one. I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. Well, actually, Canada is one of the leaders in it. And, okay. um, and again, supporting small business, right? Mm. Yeah, so fantastic. that's about it. But well, that, yeah, no, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> it sounds like a fantastic year ahead. Amazing. Thank right. you. So, if you can leave one piece of advice, there have been a number of different ones that you've left the audience with today. Uh, what's one um, implementable, quick uh, sort of piece of advice that we can leave um, some of our women entrepreneurs today? So, just remember that. I come from a background, my dad was a Canadian Forces pilot, my mom was a kindergarten teacher. I didn't come from wealth, I didn't marry it, I didn't inherit it, I earned it. Hmm. So if I can do it, you can do it. And never forget, I'm actually a clinical social worker. I I don't come from a business background, I had no networks, I had no mentors, and I built in a a company, an industry leading company pre-digital where you actually had to pick up the phone and call people, get in the car and go and see them. So if I can do it, you can do it. Incredible. Well, I think that's fantastic advice, Fiona. Thank you so much for joining us on the Thrive Podcast today. Thank you for having me. It's been lovely. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us this week on the Thrive Podcast, where we help women entrepreneurs to start and build thriving businesses. Thank you to the Startup Canada production team, BDC, and Scotiabank for helping us to power women entrepreneurs. 
Visit startupcan.ca forward slash women to download the playbook Resources for Women Entrepreneurs with a comprehensive list of support for you and your business. Visit startupcan.ca for the latest episodes of the Startup Canada podcast hosted by Matthew Curtis and plug in to the Startup Canada network. Until next time, I'm Kayla Isabel. It's time to thrive.